0: Hi, this is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of interviewing my uh, good friend and dear colleague, Dr. Mansour Mirza, who is in the Department of Cancer Treatment in uh, Copenhagen University in Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, We're having him here to discuss the long-anticipated Ruby trial. Uh, This trial was recently published in the New England Journal of Medicine, um, he uh, now has become a, a routine, uh, uh, regular author in the New England Journal of Medicine. So we have uh, so so much respect for him. Uh, the title of the Ruby trial is dostarlimab for primary advanced or recurrent endometrial cancer. Mansoor, so great to see you, and uh, it's so great to have you here on the podcast.
1: Thank you, Pedro. Thank you. It's it's amazing that we are uh, we are privileged actually all of us that we are seeing the success of what we are doing and we are really changing the outcome of our patients. Uh, I never thought that it will be happening in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we as one of our colleague uh, told me after that these results that we are used to baby steps but these are giant leaps so so we really are making a difference. Uh, for our patients, and it's a pleasure to talk to you about it and talk to every uh, discuss uh, uh, with with in the podcast of international journal. Um, I, I'm uh, I'm 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 actually pr- both proud and privileged that that I'm part of this
0: success. <laughs> Absolutely, no, I mean this is remarkable. We were just talking previously how um, how much we're we're progressing in in terms of the uh, research in gynecologic oncology, and it's so really so great to be um, part of this uh, of this time uh, for our field. So, Mansoor, I wanted to ask you first, uh, if we can start by discussing um, what percentage estimate of endometrial cancers are MMR deficient, uh, MSI high, uh, and second, why would they be susceptible to anti-PD-1 and pdl one inhibitors? So first of all, um, I, I would like to say that everything
1: changed 10 years ago when we saw the TCGA data uh, on endometrial cancer, which really showed that very high number of uh, patients would be very susceptible to immune checkpoint inhibitors, uh, so-called uh, mismatch, repair, deficient, or uh, microsatellite instable. Uh, around 30% of the population, whole population, is um, MMR deficient uh, one can uh, roughly say that these are the patients who are non serious who was were who endometrioid, and most probably grade one and grade two tumors these 30 so so it's a 30 percent of the whole population which is substantial mm-hmm. uh and 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 we have uh, um, seen uh, in multiple trials starting from melanoma and in lung cancer that, immune checkpoint inhibitors are the right thing uh, to, 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 to work on this, uh, a, a act on these uh, tumors uh, as they are susceptible, uh, they are deficient to uh, mismatch repair. Um, so, so, the starting of just one more drug uh, which has a durable activity in both MMRD and MMRH uh, and MMRP uh, population uh, in endometrial cancer. We saw that from the Garnet study, which uh, Annie, uh, Anna Awaknina, our good friend, uh, led that study, and we saw that that it was 50% uh, response rates in the MMR deficient and about 15% response rates in MMR proficient. So that's that's where we stand with this. Uh, and and what happens is that, that DMMR uh, is associated with high uh, tumor mutational burden, high TILs, higher response rate to NTPD-1. Um, and on the other hand, we also know that that, that chemotherapy enhances the immunogenic cell that um, reduces immune suppression uh, in TMEs. And, and, and broad clinical activity is seen when combined with NTPD-1 in several cancers. So, so obvious hypothesis was and having the results from the early uh, uh, drug dra- development from this, so from the phase two of our uh, or state, state, uh, uh, phase one B, which was Garnet study, mm-hmm. uh, it was obvious that we have to do a phase three trial. And there was more and more indication that uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors should come up front. Uh, so we should do it in first line. So our hypothesis was that the stalima plus chemotherapy will improve outcome uh, of patients, both in DMMR population and in overall endometrial
0: uh, cancer population. So that's the, the whole idea behind uh, the Ruby trial. Fantastic. And then, Monsieur, when looking at the Ruby trial, Um, What were your inclusion and exclusion criteria? So when we started the Ruby
1: trial, it's always difficult when you are, you know, the first one, you have to (laughs) do some hypothesis, how and what, which patients should be included, you also need to have results early enough. So we wanted to bring it first line, but still we needed a somewhat high risk population uh, to get the events early enough to (laughs) uh, uh, get the, the drug to our patients. So we decided that we would need stage three disease and stage four disease and the patients who have relapse relapse after adjuvant therapy. Um, When it comes to the histology of the, that was important. When it comes to the histology of the patients, we took the rare tumors. We discussed a lot and tumors like carcinous sarcomas, which which are Mm -hmm. excluded in most of the trials, we Mm -hmm. decided to take them in. Um and another thing uh, was very important that the patients who have received adjuvant chemotherapy, first, let's say stage one and two have relapsed. We don't have any consensus in uh, in very in endometrial cancer when they relapse, what treatment interval should it be that we can retreat these patients with mm. carboplatin paclitaxel Some of colleagues would do it at six months, some at 12 months. We decided to be inclusive, so we took six months as the, 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 the cutoff. So that is a, a very important thing uh, in the inclusion criteria. Another uh, thing what was important was in stage three, you we, we would have a lot of patients who have no residual disease, uh, so we decided that the 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 events would be quite late for those patients mm. because they're doing yeah. quite well. Uh, so only if you have such patients, if they have high risk by histology like carcinosarcomas and so on, then we would include these patients. So this is the overall population of the study.
0: Fantastic. And then tell us a, a little bit about the trial design and what was your primary endpoint and then your secondary endpoint.
1: So the trial design uh, uh, is, of course, it's a phase three randomized trials, and I've just told you about the population of the study. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also, uh, as said, allowed initial uh, uh, adjuvant radiation therapy. So we stratified these patients when they were entering, uh, to uh, according to the MMR status, of course, because you had to have the very high responders and moderate responders separated. Mm -hmm before you randomize and be uh, uh, stratified according to the prior external uh, beam radiation therapy, as well as state of the disease stage three Mm. stage four and first relapse, they may have different outcomes. So these are the three stratifications factor We, we randomized one to one. And all patients received standard of care chemotherapy, carboplatin plus, plus paclitaxel six cycles. Okay. And with those six cycles every three weeks, mm-hmm. patients also received the uh, And once you are done with these six cycles, they've continued with monotherapy of the Stalimab, uh, every six weeks up to three years. Okay. Uh, and, and of course it's a placebo controlled trial. So the one-to-one randomization was either you were receiving the Stalimab or placebo all the way along. Uh, these are the this is the trial design the, the the again, we discussed a lot what are the most important endpoints we want to sh- uh, see mm. and um, how to reach there. So we we decided to use uh, a, a statistical plan which is called multi multiplicity control strategy. So we had multiple primary endpoints, mm. uh, uh, overall Alpha, uh, one-sided alpha was 2.5 percent and what we did was is statistically we divided into and gave two percent to start with uh, to the pfs progression-free survival and f- half percent to the os uh, to overall survival so we start with the the patient population which has the highest chance to respond mm-hmm. uh, in such a design hierarchical design so primary one first primary endpoint was Looking at progression free survival of the MMR deficient disease mm-hmm. uh, and with 2% alpha. Uh, and once that was positive, then we could recycle that 2% alpha uh, to the next primary endpoint, which was progression free survival in intention to treat mm-hmm. population. And if even that was positive, and both were positive, we will come to that. Mm -hmm. And then this 2% alpha was recycled uh, to the overall survival. And the overall survival already had that half percent. So it becomes 2.5% for Mm -hmm. overall survival. And you look at the alpha there. So this is a, 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 a great way to do the study, because then you have multiple primary endpoints. You have power to show these Uh, results. Uh, And another very important thing was that overall survival was our uh, primary endpoint, one of the three primary endpoints. And then we had pre-specified subgroup analysis of the progression-free survival of MMR proficient disease, Mm -hmm. as well as overall survival of MMR deficient and MMR proficient disease. So we have covered all these efficacy endpoints in the statistical design. Isn't it beautiful? Fantastic!
0: Yes, I mean uh, congratulations to you and uh, and the team in the in this uh, uh, specific design. Um, I know that you have gone through the results many many times. Uh, so let's let's get to that. What are what were the results of the Ruby trial? And what are some of the main points you want our audience to take away from the Ruby?
1: results are extraordinary. Why? Uh, I, before I say the results, I would say two things you should remember. First, that you will see all immune checkpoint inhibitor trials, that you start seeing that kaplan meier curves start splitting from each other and keep on their uh, separation all the way long. That means there's a long-term benefit. They actually flattened experimental arm curves hmm. at some point. So that's one thing. Uh, and that's why it's important to look at the hazard ratio, the area under curve, because median is not going to give you so much information. Medium is just one point mm-hmm. uh, estimate, which is too early for immune checkpoint inhibitor. You have to look at the tail end of the of the curves. That's one thing. Second thing is that when you we are doing trials like ovarian cancer, we look at the PFS and many times OS is not primary endpoint at all mm-hmm. and it's not there when we present the data on PFS. Here we have overall survival although we had only 33% maturity. However, it's so strong that you can believe in that overall survival. Even though we had patients in placebo arm who had crossed over uh, to receive active immune checkpoint inhibitor after progression, we still have a very clear uh, indication of overall survival. So the results uh, if we take by uh, endpoint to endpoint, we uh, uh, as I said, extremely positive. The first uh, we analyzed was the progression-free survival in the mismatch repair deficient disease. And uh, another strong thing for this trial is that we have enough follow-up. We have median 25 months follow-up. So when we talk about 24 months uh, cut point, uh, it's quite strong, because we do have a median follow-up of 25 uh, months. Uh, And and we can see for the progression-free survival of uh, MMR-deficient disease that at 24 months, it has increased from 15.7% to 61.4%. That is a hazard ratio of 0.28 and a p-value less than 0.0001. It is extremely positive. Uh, and and when we look at the overall survival of the same population uh, of uh, de- de- mismatch repair deficient disease it has increased from at 24 months from 58.7% to 83.7% mm-hmm. with a hazard ratio of 0.30 and uh, as i said the maturity was 33% in that but it is the if you look at the kaplan microbes curves of both PFS you will see that the events are happening in the first 12 months, and after that, the uh, experimental arm is completely flat, Mm -hmm. there are no events happening there of Mm -hmm. PFS, Uh, and and, and that is is amazing, because that probably is telling us that many of these patients are cured uh, of the disease, Mm -hmm. uh, which is very comforting Mm -hmm. uh, to see, right? Um, So this is the DMMR population. When we look at the intention to treat population, which was the second primary endpoint, again, an increase at 24 months of progression-free survival from 1% to 36%. Mm. And overall survival... Uh, of, of, of 56% increased to 71% in both cases, has a mm-hmm. ratio of 0. 0.64, which is extremely significant. And I should say, again, for the overall survival, uh, there is a substantial uh, crossover. The patients who were in placebo, 35% of these patients, after progressing, have received an immune checkpoint inhibitor. Mm-hmm. And even uh, in the other arm, in the experimental arm, there is Uh, I check uh, immune therapy after immune therapy, but with lesser extent about 15%. So even though you have turned it around and given immune checkpoint inhibitors to so much, so so many patients after progression, you still see a very strong overall survival Mm -hmm. benefit that is telling us that we have Mm -hmm. to move immune checkpoint inhibitors up front. There is the right place Mm -hmm. for these these drugs and not wait till they relapse. Um, then we looked at the uh, endpoint, which was um, in the uh, in the MMR. Proficient disease, again, you see an increase in progression-free survival from 18.8% to 28.4%, a hazard ratio of 0.76. But that has to be seen together with overall survival, which has increased from 55% to 67% with a hazard ratio of Mm. 0.73, despite the fact of the 33% of the population upon progression did receive immune checkpoint inhibitors. So uh, all in all, All subgroups, Hmm. intention to treat, and all subgroups, both for progression-free survival and for overall survival, are positive. So this is a game changer. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, this is a a wow, Uh, and uh, this is uh, really very, very impacting. I'm sure you were incredibly excited to see uh, to see these results. And Masur, now I, uh, you know, we usually ask uh, a few questions from our fellows, and and many of the authors that will say that. Those are actually the tougher questions. Uh, So this first question is from Ryan Kahn. He's a fellow at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York. And his question is, when considering histologic subtypes, the majority as expected were endometrioid. However, about 20% or so were serous and about 9% were carcinosarcoma. Recognizing that these are small numbers, can we assume that these results also apply to those patients? Uh, My answer
1: would be yes. And uh, I would say that, uh, what was the name of the- Ryan. (laughs) uh, Ryan, you have to uh, uh, wait a little bit till ESMO uh, Congress in uh, October, uh, because I will be presenting uh, the efficacy data uh, by uh, molecular classification. And you Mm. will see P53 wild type, P53 mute, and you will see all the subgroups and you will understand how the the drug is working in different populations. I know uh, that numbers are small, but it will give us a a clear indication. And and, and on top of that, and that is the reason that uh, uh, we we would be, once we have the overall survival data, more mature uh, seeing that uh, the company will submit both to FDA and to European medicine agency uh, for approval in stage 3 and 4 and recurrent disease for all patients uh, uh, and not, not separating between histotypes mm-hmm. or, or anything else. So my, my first answer is yes, it's effective. My second answer is please come to ESMO in Madrid <laughs> and you will have the more detailed answer. It's it's embargoed, so I cannot tell you the story.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. So Ryan, have there, there, there you go. You have, you have to uh, head out to Madrid for ESMO this year. Uh, this next question is from Andrea Rosati, who is at Gemelli Hospital in Rome. Um, his question is, how do we interpret the role of reductive surgery Uh, with these results? Should we downsize the role of surgery? Should we refine the selection criteria for surgery based on molecular profile? Do we have any information about the efficacy of the starlimab related to the residual disease after surgery? Another great
1: question. Uh, So, uh, Dr. Rossati, the problem is that these patients will have a much longer Progression-free mm-hmm. survival, and 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 we see very few events at the moment. So we really need to wait for a longer period. It's a small group of population, with a with with a very few events. So right now I cannot say anything mm-hmm. about it. However, uh, I have heard. Quite solid rumors that soon we will see the results of NGOT EN11. That was the pure adjuvant trial, which probably you also participated Uh, That was in stage one, stage two, high risk, and stage three, no residual disease. Mm. And there, 1,000 patients randomized, you have quite a few numbers. You will get an answer if addition of a check, immune checkpoint inhibitor, our PD1. Uh, to chemotherapy is beneficial or not uh, in a much stronger way because the numbers are much, much larger. But a great question. We have to wait for answers again. (laughs) I think everybody has to come to Madrid. (laughs) (laughs) Rumors are that that's going to Madrid as well.
0: (laughs) Exactly. So this this, uh, next question also from Andrea, and he's asking, is there any difference regarding the oncologic outcomes and safety profile between the primary setting and the recurrent setting what will be the most appropriate use of dostarlimab primary or recurrent
1: so we did not see any extra uh, uh, um, side effects any any new side effects uh, with giving dostarlimab uh, also giving it with chemotherapy we did not see we did not see that we negatively influenced uh, the 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 administration of uh, chemotherapy by adding the it's the same numbers um, and uh, so so when we come to the adverse events there is nothing no no new uh, uh, finding of that uh, that means that uh, the is is having the same adverse events which are quite tolerable which are quite moderate uh, the best thing is that what we see, which I, I've already said, that that what we have seen in, when we look at the Kaplan of microbes of overall survival, we see, for example, in DMMR, 38% of the patients from placebo, they were crossed over to receive immune checkpoint inhibitor at relapse. Uh, 33% in the rest of the population. So that's a substantial mm. crossover. So, so you can say that at then all many of these patients are receiving immune checkpoint inhibitors but you still see a very strong overall survival benefit and that tells us you we have to push immune checkpoint inhibitors up front that's the
0: right place for these patients fantastic um this uh, this next question comes from uh, Jennifer uh Davis, Oliveira and Jen uh, in the UK, she's asking, it's interesting that your primary and secondary endpoints include progression-free survival, but determined through different means. Um, Why did you decide to do this? I think you alluded to a little bit before. um, Did this highlight any differences in progression-free survival?
1: Uh, So first of all, we all know from the data that we have that patients who have uh, MMR- Uh, deficient tumors, they will be the ones who will have a very high uh, response to immune checkpoint inhibitors as compared to the patients who are proficient for MMR, uh, they will have a moderate response. Mm. So not to mix them, we had to separate them, which is obvious. Uh, second thing is if we had the classical statistical design that you have a separate classic statistical analysis for one subgroup and the other subgroup you will end up in a thousand patient mm-hmm. trial uh, and we do not need to 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 spend so many lives for a trial when you can with a more smarter statistical mm-hmm. design get it done in a in a smaller number so this hierarchical uh, design which I have shown it is really amazing you get quite a few primary endpoints you power you have power for all these and you get it done in a uh, uh, in a smaller number of patients mm-hmm. the risk is when you are doing that if one of the endpoint at some point is negative then you cannot go further mm-hmm. so if pfs in mmr deficient did not show any 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 uh, difference we could not go further to intention to Mm -hmm. treat population Mm -hmm. that's done. And then you had half percent alpha for OS. but that's, you have to really beat hard to, to, to get half percent alpha. So, so this way, yes, you take, you're taking the risk that you may end up in a negative trial or stop somewhere, but if everything is positive, this is the best way to, 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 to do it. Smaller number of patients, and have a power for almost everything.
0: So good design when you have an initial high level of confidence.
1: Yes, (laughs) good design when you know the drug is working.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So this next question comes from uh, Vansa Koshevili in Georgia. Um, She asks, were all cases of MMR deficient in the mitral carcinoma sporadic or were some associated with Lynch syndrome?
1: Oh, another great question. So (laughs) uh, uh, we are working on, they are both. I can. The short answer is we have both. Mm-hmm. We have mixed and are they are responding. That's another. So we will be having detailed analysis ready uh, in Q1 next year. We are working on that. Mm-hmm. We are looking at each and every uh, uh, DMMR patient. We, we are also looking at the patients who had uh, TMB high because they are mixed of mostly they are in the uh, DMMR, but they are also MMR proficient. So all these analysis, uh, uh, we probably will be able to present not before Q1 or maybe even at Tesco next year. It it takes some time. It's a a huge work. Uh, Right now, I can say we have both populations and there is no indication that one may not work in, in one subgroup or the other. But please uh, bear with me we uh, it's a it's a huge work and <laughs> we, it's great that we have 500 patients now yeah. we have to really work hard to look at all these subgroups, all these molecular uh, classifications, uh, because all the data we have is retrospective from all mm-hmm. trials mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 it may not hold when we look at the prospective mm-hmm. randomized trials. So so I think that's great that we have. Um, Uh, uh,
0: biological material to do all this work. And that's what we are doing. So Jen, for the answer to that question, you have to go to ASCO 2024. (laughs) Uh, This next question comes from uh, Anissa Amburo. She's in uh, Kenya. And she asks, how would you objectively describe the quality of life for those in the Dostarlimab treatment arm with longer progression-free survival and overall survival? So
1: when we looked, I showed you just one slide in the in my presentation. It's only one slide, uh, one short uh, summary in the uh, in the New England Journal paper where you can see there is a trend towards better quality. Patient reported outcomes are more positive for the, uh, the 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 patients who received active treatment with dostarlimab versus placebo. Uh, that is what I can say now. Uh, you have just one month left to ASCO, and uh, I will be presenting an ASCO GAINY oral session. Uh, the the detailed analysis of patient reported outcomes from mm. the Ruby trial, where you have all these results. But I can assure you, uh, it's it it is positive mm. that there is a clear trend towards a positive answer. So. Another reason to come to ASCO this year.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> guys, you have to travel all the way. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Mansur, listeners, question again. is from Jen. Um, she wants to get back to talking about the adverse events. Um, she says, Does the higher um, serious adverse events with dostarlimab concern you? Um, is there anything that can be done to mitigate these adverse events? So, first of all, if you look uh, at the adverse
1: events, treatment emergent adverse events uh, there was uh, almost more or less no difference between placebo and the active drug only rash was 10% higher uh, in the uh, in the arm, and that's about it so and when we looked separately about the uh, immune related adverse events uh, they were very low uh, in frequency uh, so uh, i believe that the only in my clinic we have now quite many patients we have treated. The only adverse event which we see uh, now and then is hypothyroidism mm. and patients have to receive uh, uh, treatment for that, mm. uh, but that can be treated. Mm. So that's that's the only thing which, which really uh, goes to one in 10 patients uh, where we have to treat the patients with, with, uh, with um, um, supplements. Um, otherwise, it's very manageable when you mm-hmm. are not combining, when you are not, as single agent PD-1s PD are very manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, when you start combining with other agents, small molecules, um,
0: then it becomes more uh, challenging. Toxic. Yeah. So, um, this next question also from Anissa in, uh, in Kenya again. Um, she says, both MMR deficient and proficient patients showed a benefit from receiving dostarlimab. Would it be safe to say that the drug can be given to all comers with advanced and recurrent and non-metral cancer without really doing any testing, especially for areas with resource restrictions? And her second question is, can this be truly a global study? Was there any African or Asian country participation?
1: So first of all, thanks for these two great questions. First of all, I will uh, disagree that we will not do any testing. Uh, because immune uh, histochemistry is is not expensive. Uh, The the drugs are extremely expensive. So so if you can afford uh, to give uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors, you can definitely uh, ask your pathologist to do (laughs) immune histochemistry, Mm -hmm. to do the separation. It's extremely important that we do that. We separate them into two subgroups important to know how, how the drug is working more in future in, in both sessions. And then is the diversity. Uh, and, and as I, uh, I we did not discuss, but this was a truly international trial. We had a huge number of patients uh, from both sides of the pond, uh, from separate groups. We had uh, so many countries and, and, and of, of course, we have a smaller number of patients from Asia, Uh, And that is something we have to work. We are very closely working now and GOT is working uh, with Epcot Asia Pacific uh, uh, Gynecologic Oncology Trial Group uh, to make sure that these big phase three trials, that they are as much involved as we are and GOG. And so we can have a truly global. We unfortunately do not have any uh, uh, African uh, countries in this uh, trial. Mm-hmm. However, we have a substantial population of Black mm-hmm. uh, in the trial, which I have also mentioned very clearly uh, in the baseline characteristics that we have uh, 12% of the patients who are Black population in overall. So yes, uh, it's a, it's a, an, an 8%, 3% of the Asian population. Yes, we have to do more about it. Mm-hmm it should be more uh, you know, inclusive um, and we are working on that. Very well.
0: So uh, this next question comes from Nuria Agusti in Barcelona. And she asks, are there any potentially uh, biomarkers on their investigation to predict response rates with dostarlimab in the MMR proficient uh, tumor groups?
1: Another great
0: question. First
1: of all, again, I'm coming to Madrid <laughs> to answer your question in October in ESMO, so be there. Uh, second thing is, yes, I think my my initial answer would be uh, TMB, we have to add, because there are some patients who are TMB, uh, high TMB, high, uh, but MMRP, and they are responding as well, as, as good uh, as uh, MMR-deficient disease. That's first answer. And then you will see the molecular classification, uh, and you will see that who are the higher, who are uh, the patients who are responding much higher than the others. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, embargo data, but <laughs> you will get some some separation. Uh, do remember for all these questions, we have tsunami of phase three trials mm-hmm. in this population. We are just the first ones to report, mm-hmm. which we are, of course, very proud of. But we will see uh, more and more trials and we will be doing uh, Hopefully the meta-analysis, pull these trials yeah. together and look at the data for all these subgroups. We would need that, even though they are five, six, eight hundred, one thousand patient trials, mm-hmm. but you have to pull them together when you have five thousand patients, you get a better subgroup numbers to answer these questions. And that is what is needed in future. Absolutely. In in, in
0: very near Yeah, and it's uh, it's exciting to know that all this information is uh, coming to to our field. Um, This next question is from uh, Giulio Bonaldo. He's at the European Institute of Oncology in Milan. And uh, his question is, in your opinion, immunotherapy, could it be used without chemotherapy in uh, in any specific setting? Oh, yes, Uh, it could be. Uh, and actually, we are at the moment running
1: two very important trials. Um, one is En15. Uh, EN, uh, that is the trial in bio. The both trials are in biomarker positive population. So one is En15. Uh, another is the uh, the Dominica trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The only difference between these two trials is that that one is using Pembrolizumab, other is using trastalimab mm. So the drug, but they're both PD-1s. And the, the, the hypothesis is the patients who are primary stage three, four, or first relapse, these patients, if they are MMR deficient, that 30% of the population of mm-hmm. endometrial cancer, do we really need to give them chemotherapy? No. Can we get rid of that <laughs> in the first line? So the pa- patients are being randomized to chemotherapy in the uh, standard of Kiram versus single agent mm. uh, a PD-1 alone. So BEMBRO or uh, Dostalimab. I think that's, that's yeah. the best uh, place. Of course, uh, I have ruined a little bit the, the design because the standard of RAM is not yeah. standard of care anymore, exactly. but still we need to answer that question. These trials are running and they are finishing on the f- uh, finishing ri- line or, 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 or enrolling patients. I think we should let these trials mm-hmm. finish and answer the question. If these trials show very high uh, benefit of uh, single agent uh, PD-1, uh, patients will definitely uh, have uh, an option uh, of either receive a PD-1 alone mm-hmm. uh, for this population or chemotherapy plus PD-1. And yes. if I were patient, I don't want to lose hair and have neuropathy. So I would get, uh, you know, do not like to have a chemotherapy. Right. Um, so for for me, I think these two trials, are very important, even though we have disrupted them with one month ago <laughs> with my data, uh, but still we have to finish this yeah. class.
0: I'm sure this next question, and um, you know, certainly potentially a question that may come up from patients as well. Uh, Julie Bonaldo is asking, considering the evidence of safety and good quality of life for patients treated with dostarlimab, um, do you think that the duration of maintenance therapy could be extended to improve the benefits would there be any harm in just continuing it with uh, extended treatment?
1: That's another great question. I will go the other way around. If you look at the Kaplan-Meier curves uh, hmm. of my trial, you can see that events are occurring early, mm-hmm. within 12 months, and we have to look at who are these patients who are not responding, who are progressing so early, even in the DMMR population. Uh, so why we chose three years? Uh, because we looked at the data from uh, GOG209, that's what we had at that mm-hmm. time when we planned, and we could see that less than half percent of the patients were alive uh, after three years. So we decided to take three years as 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 the. I I believe that we have to cut short mm. and go shorter. I I don't think that we need to give uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors for more than one and a half year. Okay, uh, and 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 I'm sorry, but this is a, a costly treatment for our society, and we could get two patients treated with one patient, right. but, but these are the trials we have to do. If you remember when we started with melanoma, we started with a longer period, getting shorter, where we are down to one, one year now. Mm. Uh, so, so I think this is the same we have to do in, uh, in, 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 in endometrial cancer. Uh, so not prolonging but shortening, yeah. we don't need three years of treatment.
0: Perfect, and and I, I know that uh, you have to go and give a lecture soon, so two more questions and uh, and we'll uh, conclude, but I think it's a great question also and, and one that I'm sure you're you're uh, facing as you give these presentations. This is back from Ryan Kahn in, uh, at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering. Uh, he asked, for patients undergoing first-line therapy who have disease characteristics that have shown benefit in both ruby and uh, GYO18, uh, the NRG study. um, How should physicians decide between carbotaxel with dostorlimab versus carbotaxel with pembrolizumab?
1: I'm afraid that I may be biased to answer this question because I'm (laughs) PI of one of the two trials, but let me try to be very uh, balanced and answer this question uh, uh, to you. Actually, I will be... Uh, I have just discussed that in Sao Paulo uh, in detail, and um, um, and and I think it's it's important that 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 we try to understand. First of all, uh, I don't think that you can compare these uh, two trials to each other. They are mm-hmm. different. There are differences. It looks like the same, but there are clear differences uh, in the trials. Uh, and let me discuss the differences between the two to understand that why you are not allowed to compare these two. Mm. When you look at the inclusion criteria uh, in the in the Ruby trial, uh, you had carcinosarcomas, you had non-measurable clear cell carcinosarcomas, uh, serous mixed. That was not part of the dy uh, 18 uh, The time since completion of adjuvant chemotherapy was only six months. Uh, to enter into Ruby trial while it was 12 months in the uh, GY018 trial. So that trial population is different. Then we look at the stratification factors. And if you look at clearly that you have uh, prior external beam radiotherapy as uh, external stratification in one, in Ruby, and while it's the uh, chemotherapy, while it's the performance status in the other, and MMR is a uh, stratification factor. Another important that in Ruby we have separated patients according to disease status, recurrent disease, primary stage 3, primary stage 4. That's not the case in the GY018. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's look at the primary endpoints then, uh, that we have overall survival in the uh, Ruby trial as primary endpoint. We will never see overall survival of GY018 because that is that is not an endpoint, mm. so we will not get any uh, idea mm. about that. Uh, however, in uh, in Ruby trial, they have both progression-free survival separately calculated for uh, MMR deficient and proficient disease. So there is a difference again. Uh, most important, uh, another important thing is how often you do the the uh, the scans mm. uh, let's say if you do a scan every 12 weeks you would know if patient has progressed uh, at 12 weeks but if you do the scan on 8 weeks you would know that patient has progressed after 8 weeks mm-hmm. so artificially by doing it 12 weeks you will prolong mm-hmm. uh, the, the 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 PFS of these patients, yeah. uh, so, so th- and there is a difference uh, in scanning uh, frequency as well. Uh, while Ruby has a, a more aggressive approach, uh, GY018 is more uh, yeah, a longer approach. So this is another difference. I think that another thing is very important thing is the data maturity, which is presented today. Mm-hmm. As I said, in Ruby trial, we have 25 months of, uh, of uh, follow-up. Uh, while in the intention to treat population, while in GY018 trial, for the MMR proficient disease, it's only 7.9 months. Mm. And now for the DMMR population, 12 months. So th- the trial is not mature yet to look at that, uh, these analysis. So I think it is extremely important that we do not compare these two. We will have to uh, if you want to take a decision, still want to take a decision, you have to wait until you have more mature data from GY018 before you give it a consideration until then. Uh, actually, the, the, uh, you probably have one choice at the moment what I see. But of course, we would have mature data, then we can see, and then you can
0: make a see, decision. Make
1: a decision. Mm-hmm. But please do not compare the, the trials head-to-head with the couple of miles because of these differences.
0: Very well, and so one last question comes to us from Arthur uh, Sue in, uh, in Taiwan, um, and he asked, in the recurrent setting, uh, what would be your recommendation for your patient in terms of choosing between pembrolizumab and lembatinib versus chemotherapy and dostarlimab?
1: Oh, in this, uh, so, what you are saying is if patient had adjuvant therapy and progressed, these patients entered the Ruby trial, but they were also part of the uh, uh, Keynote 775 trial, uh, I, I believe that that definitely I would use uh, chemotherapy plus the Stalimab because of the the not only the efficacy, what we have seen, and overall survival data of Ruby trial, but also the uh, adverse event profile mm. which is much much different uh, in the two uh, for the pembro limva we have to wait the results of leap 1 trial which also be available uh, by end of this year or early next year uh, and that is the sort of copy and paste of keynote uh, uh, 775 mm-hmm. but upfront uh, mm-hmm. in the population we did the ruby trial so i think uh, right now we cannot uh, say that MMR proficient disease must receive uh, in that population, which is Ruby population, uh, Pembrolimpa. Uh, uh, it's not a free meal to give Pembrolimpa uh, mm-hmm. to our patients mm-hmm. uh, and the dose reductions and dose interruptions and those, uh, 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 you know, many patients do not fin- to come to finish line with the dosaging of both drugs. So my Answer is clear, single agent or chemotherapy plus single agent uh, PD-1 is far better for my patients than the combination with uh, Limbatinib.
0: Very well. Well, Mansoor, Mirsa, always, always, always a pleasure speaking with you. I always, uh, I learned so much from just listening to you, your lectures, your presentations. Um, Thank you for your time. Uh, I hope actually this podcast has uh, warmed you up for your upcoming lecture here at this meeting as well. Uh, And uh, thank you once again for all that you have and continue to contribute to Gynecologic Oncology.
1: Thank you very much, Pedro. And it's always such a pleasure working with you uh, and for my colleagues. And as I said to start with, uh, we are all privileged that we have seen these great results. So thank you very much. And do join... Um, ASCO for the subgroup analysis of patient-reported outcome and other very important results coming (laughs) in uh, this year. And especially in ESMO this year in October, we will see multiple uh, uh, results of multiple phase 3 trials, and uh, I will present the molecular classification of of Ruby trial. So I think we are privileged that we are seeing these positive results, and for our patients that we are making a really a difference for endometrial cancer, which I always call as a Cinderella story. Mm-hmm. Nothing was happening. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and And all of a sudden, you know, we see this huge benefit.
0: Well, thank you so much.